0: behind it, and we're saying that there is, that um, with Jesus' coming, he has invited us into a new relationship with God, and that we can relate to him, connect with him, be with him in a way that was previously um, uh, difficult, if not impossible. Last week, we looked at this idea of access. We, each week, we're going to look at one characteristic, and last week, we used this door as our illustration, and what we, what we said last week was in the Old Testament, kind of the old normal is, doors don't close, is that you get that, there's a crack, you can see our floor's not level because that door's doing that, so um, there's just a crack, one guy, the high priest, can enter into God's presence one day a year, the day of atonement, and there's all kinds of regulations around that, and when Jesus is coming, he blows the door open wide, and there's full access for all of us at any That's what his death and resurrection provide for us. He makes a way for us to enter into the presence of God. That was last week. We talked about what God is asking of us or inviting us into is this covenant relationship with him, And and we looked at that a bit. This morning, I want to look at this idea of acceptance, what makes us acceptable to God. Luke 1, starting in verse 26, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Um, that word, uh, highly favored, it's actually one word, and it, the root of it is grace. When we hear favor, sometimes we think, Oh, this is something that, she, that you've earned. The word underneath it is grace. It's only used one other time in the New Testament, in Ephesians 1.6, and it's translated grace there, if I remember correctly. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, "'Don't be afraid, Mary, God, uh, you have found favor.'" And that word, favor, again, is grace with God. "'You will be with child and will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. "'You will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. "'The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, "'and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. "'His kingdom will never end. "'How will this be?' Mary asked the angel." Since I'm a virgin, and the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. So I'm going to give you a little kind of bird's eye view, and then we'll dig in a little bit. Old, normal. Uh, If you read through the Old Testament, if you read the Gospels and you read Paul, there's a couple of things going on in terms of the way uh, the Jewish people tended to relate to God. They they knew Genesis, they knew Genesis 12, they knew that God had chosen Abraham, called him out from all the people of the earth and said, I'm going to, through you, I'm going to make a great nation. They knew there was no merit in that, but over time, what they began to slip into and you can see this again as you read through the old testament and the new what they began this this mindset that they slipped into that what made them acceptable to God was their behavior or their activity their actions made them acceptable to God and when Jesus comes on the scene everything changes and i think Mary is a great picture of that Mary is 12 13 years old we got a 12 year old in here anybody no Somebody over there look like they're 12. Oh, Marnie, you're just sitting real low. <laughs> I, thought, I thought it might have been your thought you might have been one of your children. Katie Marie. Anyway, 12, 13 years old. If you can think through that, those of you who have children that age. That's how old Mary was. She, that's marriage, that's marriageable age during this uh, time. As a woman, she would not have been included in the public life of Israel at all. Chances are she probably never went to the temple 100%, she was illiterate. She didn't know the law. She would not have been included in in instruction. Like, you know, we read in Luke about Jesus being at the temple when he's 12 years old. That wouldn't have been Mary's experience at all. As a woman, you weren't included in that element of life. And for her to be chosen by God, you have that on one hand. On the other, you have Zachariah, who we talked about last week. He was a wonderful Man. He was a priest, so he led his people in worship fully in the midst of corporate worship in Israel. Um I think verse six says he was blameless in keeping the law, so that meant he he knew the law and he followed it, a righteous and upright man. This same angel that appeared to Mary to Mary appears to uh Zechariah as well. Mary asked this question, how is this gonna be? Um she might not be literate but she knows enough about biology to realize if I'm a virgin I'm not sure how this is going to happen for me and then the angel tells her well the Holy Spirit's going to do this work and she says okay I'm in I'll do that interesting Zachariah asks a question as well when the angel says your Elizabeth is going to have a child you're going to name him John and here's all the things you're going to do I think it's in verse 21 no it's in verse 18 he says how can I be sure of this and the angel gets upset and says, I'm Gabriel and I come from God and you don't get to talk for nine months. Because you didn't, literally, he, didn't get, he was mute for nine months. You don't get to talk for nine months because you didn't believe. You doubted. You can't question. Interesting, Mary and Zachariah both asked a question. Mary comes from a place of faith. Zachariah's from a place of doubt. This young girl with most likely little to no religious background She is received. It says she is the graced one, highly favored one. God is with her. She's found favor with God. Zachariah, this priest who's upright, a great guy, but he misses it completely. He doubts. You see the picture there between this old and the new. The old is I'm righteous or I'm acceptable before God because of what I do. And the new is I'm righteous or I'm acceptable before God because I trust, because I have faith in him and what he's done. And that's the picture of who Mary is for us. Digging a little deeper, if you read through the Old Testament, one of the things that comes uh, apparent to you is that the sacrificial system that that God set up gets abused pretty quickly. So we mentioned last week covenant relationship, breaking a covenant. It's a huge deal. There are massive consequences for breaking covenant. God, in his mercy, and he knew the Israelites, he knew they were going to, to They were going to blow it. He knew the Israelites weren't going to be able to make it for long without breaking covenant. And so, what he did was he created this whole sacrificial system with sheep and goats and cows. And you can read about it in Leviticus. And it's, for us, it's very, uh, we don't, it's arcane. We don't get it. What's going on here? For them, it was life. Because without that sacrificial system, their sins fall on their head. So they break covenant. And what God says is, you should pay for the fact that you broke this covenant that you sinned. But rather than taking that out on you, we're going to take it out on the sheep and the goats and the cows and all that's good. There was no pita at that point, or there might have been an uproar against the temple sacrificial system. But it was a it was just it was mercy for him. It was mercy for them. There was a substitutionary sacrifice. You don't have to pay for the sins that you've committed. We're going to let these animals pay for it. And over time, what had been set up as a system of mercy to take care of Sin that we that the Israelites committed, people began to see it almost as like it's just kind of this uh, automatic get out of jail free card that they were playing. They lived however they want to, and as long as they sacrificed the right number of bulls and the right number of sheep and the right, they were fine. As long as they went jumped through these hoops in the temple, they figured they were good. That's all that God wanted. And throughout the Old Testament, He's kind of calling them back to that. This is just one example in Isaiah one. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Isaiah is talking to Israel, and he's comparing them to Sodom and Gomorrah. That's how wicked they've become. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are are they to me, says the Lord. The implied answer is they're nothing. I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of uh, fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who's asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moon, Sabbaths, and convocations, those are all holy days. I cannot bear your evil assemblies, your new moon festivals, and your appointed feasts. My soul hates. They become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed, defend the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. What God is saying there through Isaiah is, I don't care. Your sacrifices, they they don't work. This isn't some, I'm not a vending machine, where you sacrifice the right number of animals and I'm required to forgive you. I'm looking for heart. You're just going through the motions and it doesn't work. Don't be fooled that just because you're sacrificing the right animals at the right time and the right way, that somehow that means we're okay. Okay. Because we're not. For us, there's no temptation for us to sacrifice animals. You can't even keep chickens in your backyard if you live in the city. That's not, that's not where we live. What we do is we allow our Christian activity to take the place of this animal sacrifice. We're raised in the South. There's a church background for many of us. This, it, there's a church culture in the community that we live in. So there can be this idea that I'm acceptable to God because I'm in church. I'm I'm acceptable to God because I read my Bible. I'm acceptable to God because I pray, because I sing, because I volunteer with the children, because whatever. The Christian activity is what makes me acceptable to God. Again, we don't sacrifice animals anymore, but we absolutely have a list of religious or Christian duties that we perform. I'm acceptable to God because I give when the bucket comes by whatever those things are for us it's easy for us particularly in the south where there is this kind of ingrained church culture to believe that that's what makes us acceptable to him the fact that we're doing these things christian things that we're acceptable to him and it's just not true like he could say to us i don't need any more people in a room i got plenty of people everyone on the earth is mine i don't need people gathering in a room All the angels in heaven are singing to me all the time. I don't need to hear just noise. I'm looking for hearts. I'm looking for people whose hearts are mine. Yes, behavior matters. And it matters because it's rooted in hearts. We live out of our hearts. It's the wellspring of life. And and so he does care about our behavior. He cares about what we're doing out here primarily because it's a reflection of what's going on in here. And if it's not a true reflection of what's going on in here, it doesn't register with him at all. If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, particularly as you look through the letters in Paul, you see this, this undercurrent, this idea that if we keep the law, that makes us accept, acceptable to God. The Pharisees, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this because we looked at it a bunch when we were doing the Sermon on the Mount, but the Pharisees had developed this very complex system of law-keeping with the idea that when, that, when the Jewish people kept the law sufficiently, God would send the Messiah. That's what they thought. We, do, we follow the rules well enough, then the Messiah will come and God will deliver us. And Jesus comes, remember the Sermon on the Mount, and he pushes all of that backwards. He pushes it all internally you think you're okay if you don't kill anybody. No, if you're still if you're angry with people, it's, it's the same heart. You think it's okay as long as you actually haven't physically committed adultery. Actually, if you look at a woman lustfully, he pushes everything back into hearts. And the same thing is true for us. Again, kind of in the religious culture that we live in here in the South, it's easy to create a list of do's and don'ts. Many of you were raised in churches and that's what you got in your mind was this list and from well-meaning people this list of do's and don'ts that if you follow them that's what makes you acceptable to God like for some people it's don't cuss and that makes you not many of you actually we got a lot of cussers in our church this week how about this this was the first for me somebody cussed while we were praying together never happened for me before it's fine never happened for me before new ground is being broken so For some, that's the thing for some people. For some people, it's not drinking. For some people, it's particular forms of entertainment. There's different things. We we all create lists, and they're they're tailored to us, and we judge each other because your list is different from mine, and you do things that I don't, and I think things are important that you think are not important, and we, we have those things. And we think that following those lists is what makes us acceptable to God. God cares, again, intensely about our actions and our behavior. What he's looking for is integrity, alignment between heart and behavior, inside and outside. And when those things are not in line, it doesn't work for him. That's what Jesus says to the Pharisees in the Sermon on the Mount. He's trying to get them to see, listen, great job washing your hands. Excellent job washing those pots and pans. What God wants, in addition to you washing your hands well and cleaning the pots and pans the right way, is he wants you to love each other. There's a, there's a heart piece there that's easy to miss for us because we can, we can fall into the do's and don'ts list. That's trying to become acceptable to God by what we do. That's based on our behavior, not based on what he has done. Listen to this. This is Romans 3. There's a lot here. We don't have time. I just want you to hear, hear the high points. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. But now a righteousness from God, or being acceptable to God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew or Gentile, for all have sinned, And everybody falls short of the glory of God. And everybody or all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement. There's this idea, you don't need to worry about all the animals anymore. The sacrifice of atonement is Jesus. He's the one that makes us one with the Father through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance, God had left the sins committed before Jesus died unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just in the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting it's excluded? On what principle? On that of observing the law? On that of following the rules? On that of keeping your list? No, but on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. The list doesn't work. It doesn't make us acceptable to him. We put our faith or our trust in what God has done, and then the behavior flows from there. If you cuss when we're praying or not, doesn't matter to me a whole lot. If you drink or... Like, the, the behaviors don't matter a whole lot. It, it, only in terms of what they're... Are they reflective of a heart that's yielded to Him? Are they reflective of a heart that's trusting in Him? Are you doing the things that you're doing from a place of faith, of belief, trust, dependency on God. If you have those things, if you're trusting in Jesus, it will affect the way you talk to your spouse. It will affect the way you raise your children. It will affect the way you do your job. It will affect what you do with your time. It will affect what you do with your money. It affects everything. Trusting him does. And so that's what Jesus is trying to say to us. Trust me. And then we'll take, don't trust in your Christian activities don't trust in your, in your righteousness. Don't trust in your ability to keep the rules. I want you to trust in me. But you know all of that. I know most of you. Y'all said yes to that a long time ago. At some point along the way, you recognized, I need a Savior. I can't pay the debt that I owe. I'm sick and I need to be healed. I'm stuck and I need to be delivered. There was some situation that you were in that you realized, I can't do this on my own. And so you made a choice to trust Jesus at that point. That's what brought you into the kingdom. It's what brought you into a relationship with the Father. Side note, if you haven't yet said yes to Jesus, I would encourage you to pray this prayer. God, show me my need for a Savior. A drowning man has never needed to be convinced of the relevance of a rope. And if that's where you, if if, if that's kind of where you are, you're going, I don't know why this is important. I don't get it. It sounds great. I don't see how it actually impacts my life, then ask Him. Hungry people don't need to be told to eat. Ask Him to make you, God, if this is real, show me my need for a Savior, and He will. He'll show you the places in your life where you can't make it on your own, and then when you decide to follow Him, when you repent and say, I'm in, it won't be because you were convinced, it won't be because you were manipulated, it won't be because some, it won't be, none of those things. It won't be because somebody wore you down, It'll be because you'll recognize, I need a Savior. I need to put my trust in something other than myself. Back to what we're talking about. Many of you, again, have already made this choice. You've made a decision to follow Jesus. So my question to you is, are you still doing that? Paul says in Galatians 2.20, the life I live, present tense, I live by faith in Jesus. In Galatians 3.3, Paul's criticizing the Galatians, but he's saying, having begun in the Spirit, are you going to finish this off in your flesh? I think what he would say to us is, having begun by trusting in Jesus, having recognized that initially you were made acceptable to God because of the faith that you placed in the work of his Son, are you going to try to finish this by trusting in something else? Are you going to try to continue in life by trusting in something other than Jesus? I think Jesus walked a There's a thousand miles a little over that in his three years. The invitation to the disciples was follow me. The implication to me is there's a continual coming after him. They literally had to follow him. And the invitation is the same to us today. It's follow me. Put your trust in me today. Not just when you were 12 and you made a decision initially. Not when you were 25 and you were in this crisis moment. What about today? Where today are you trusting him? We've said before the gap between what I can do and what God's calling me to do, this gap is where faith is necessary. This is where I have to trust Him. If if the only things that I'm doing are things that I can do on my own, then I don't need a Savior. I don't need a provider. I don't need a healer. I don't need a helper. I don't need a deliverer. I don't need a guide. I can do it all on my own. And unfortunately, sadly, for many of us, we choose to live right over here. Very, very rarely do we venture out beyond what we're able to do on our own. And the more settled we get, the more responsibilities we take on, the more difficult it is for us to say, all right, I'm going to, what's next for me, God? Where, where would you have me stretch? Not in five. where would you have me stretch now? Where are the places that you want to create a gap in my life between what you're asking me to do and what I can do on my own? If I were to ask you where those gaps are and you're to say, I don't have any, don't hear this as condemnation, but as a wake-up call. There, There need to be gaps there. There need to be places where you're trusting God. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. How we began is how we continue it's not just I trusted him at one point. Are you trusting him now and not just for the forgiveness of your sins? That's wonderful. But are you trusting him in your finances, in your relationships, in your career decisions? Are you trusting him with what to do with your time and your money and all, how all of these practical things play out? Where are the places? Where are the faith gaps? Y'all have seen Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade. It's not a new movie. Here's a clip. or It's not a clip. Here's a picture. So there he is. Leap of faith. This big chasm on the other side is the Holy Grail. And he's got to get there because his dad is behind him. He's been shot. And he's got to get the Holy Grail and bring it back to save his dad. And there's it's just this huge open space. Next one. I told the guys at 9, this is actually a movie. You don't have to look at the still shots. We just didn't use the video. That was Y'all didn't get that at all, did you? Or is it just not funny? They laughed at 9. So... That's, he takes a step, and then this bridge appears. My question to you is, where's God asking you to step, realizing that this is how you're going to feel, this next one? You're going to feel like that when you take the step. Underneath it says the invisible bridge should be right here. That's what it feels like a lot of times for us. That's why we need faith. That's why trust is involved. Jesus says, follow me. Oftentimes, he's the only thing you can see. You can't see from A to B. And he doesn't want you to see from A to B. He's blocking the way. Because he wants you to see him and trust him. He doesn't want you to trust your strategic analysis of the situation. He doesn't want you to trust your persuasiveness. He doesn't want you to trust your ability to make good decisions or to make money or to make relationships. He doesn't want you to trust your experience or your intellect. or your res- He doesn't want you to trust any of that. He wants you to trust Him. Having begun by trusting Him, will you continue trusting Him? Are you going to place your trust in something else? If you're willing to trust Him with forever, how can you not trust Him with now? If you're willing to trust Him with your for the forgiveness of your sins, to pay your debt to a father that you can never pay, how can you not trust Him to pay your bills? now i'm not saying don't work i'm saying trust where are the faith gaps in your life if you don't have any begin to ask god where are you asking me to step out where do you want me to move uh tom tanner y'all knows a pastor at riverstone he was my campus minister and one of the things he would say all to us say to us all the time when you're 18 to 22 it's like battle cry you know where are the places in your life Where you're trusting God? What are the things that you're doing that if God doesn't show up, you're bound to fail? Every Wednesday, I feel like he said that. Where are the the places in your life? What are the things that you're trusting God with? If he doesn't show up, you're going to fail. I don't know if we need to be that dramatic. Most of us are not 18 to 22 anymore. You're not necessarily trying to conquer the world. But God is still saying, trust me. What made you acceptable to me on day one? Trusting in me makes you acceptable to me in year 10 and year 25 and year 30 it's trusting in me let's pray gotta pray first for any here who would say i don't i'm not trusting in in the lord i don't get it i don't see my need For a Savior, my prayer would be simply that you would show them, him, her, again, know that they would know. They would recognize hunger in their own heart that only you can satisfy. And God, in the proper time, they would call out to you, they would reach for the rope, and they would find a Savior. God, for those of us who have said yes to you, we made a decision at some point in our life to put our trust in you, for our future. God, I pray that we would not live in the present trusting in something else. Trusting in ourselves is ultimately what it gets down to. Trusting in our abilities, our righteousness, our strengths, whatever it is. God, I pray today we would hear you calling us to step out and that we wouldn't shrink back Jesus, I pray if you look over your shoulder, we're not a hundred yards back. We're right on you. Tracking with you. Every step. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to close this way. We'll have